Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series and podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. Taylor Butch, a foreign affairs analyst with the consulting firm Duco, joined me for a pre-recorded webinar to discuss, will China tip the balance for Iran? Mr. Butch will speak for 15 minutes, then address some questions. As this is a pre-recorded webinar, we unfortunately will not be taking any questions from the audience today. And with that, I will play the discussion with Mr. Taylor Butch. I want to first thank the Middle East Forum for the opportunity to speak today. Since opening up in the 1970s, China has made huge strides, becoming an oil importer in 1993 and over the next two decades, developing into the world's second largest economy. The Belt and Road Initiative, the focal point of Chinese President Xi Jinping's administration, came into existence in 2013 with the objective of linking land and sea routes. It focuses on exchange of goods and services in addition to large infrastructure and investment projects, innovation, and people-to-people -people exchanges. Like the old Silk Road, it stretches from China to all corners of the world, including the Middle East. It's simply a collection of partnerships along land and sea routes aimed to place favorable economic and infrastructure partnerships around China. When China and Iran signed a comprehensive strategic partnership in 2016, it also marked Iran joining the Belt and Road. Now, what does Iran get from this? Reliability. China has been Iran's number one trade partner for over a decade. Amid sections or not, this likely won't change. But unlike Iran, China isn't relied on importing oil or natural gas or metals from a particular nation. According to the US Energy Information Administration, Iran ranks sixth in crude oil imports in the Middle East in 2019 to China behind Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and others. But Tehran serves as a prime location for China to invest in infrastructure, energy, transportation projects. And here's why. Since China's digital Silk Road was introduced in 2017, Beijing has built many smart cities in recent years, and Tehran has followed suit. They've expanded public Wi-Fi, mobile payment, e-commerce, and even e-health. Two Chinese 5G telecom companies, ZTE and Huawei, have expanded these services in Iran and elsewhere around the world. Throughout the so-called Innovation Silk Road, Beijing and Tehran have expanded cooperation between scientific and medical communities, made a series of forums, joint scientific research, and academic exchanges. Other forms of people-to-people -people exchange include expansion of university ties and Confucius Institutes and Confucius classrooms. Iran itself has two Confucius Institutes, which act primarily as a bridge to promote cultural studies in Chinese language. As a rule, they require sponsorship from a Chinese university. 
These learning centers are active throughout the world, including many in the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia, UAE, Egypt, Israel, Palestine, and others, in addition to Western nations such as the UK and the US. However, the United States Senate recently passed a law unanimously, which would quote, prohibit federal funding to colleges and universities that host Confucius Institutes and are not in compliance, end quote, with specific criteria. Now it remains to be seen if other Belt and Road nations will re-examine their relationship with these institutes for fear of economic or educational retribution. Iran also has some of the world's largest oil and natural gas reserves, but Tehran wants to move to renewable energy to reduce fossil fuels and maximize money from exports. In a 10 year span, Iran has doubled its renewable energy capacity, but it realizes that it needs outside help. Chinese state-owned enterprises and private firms have recognized this fact too. Both have been active in Iran for well over a decade, primarily in solar, hydroelectric, wind, and biofuel. And from 2017, I'm sorry, from 2007 to 2019, Chinese firms have undertaken at least 34 renewable energy projects in Iran. Renewable energy there can be described in one word, underdeveloped. Renewable, renewables account for only a fraction of Tehran's total energy output, but it aims to exponentially expand renewables in the next five to 10 years. And you can be certain that Chinese state-owned enterprises and private firms will be eager to help Iran meet this goal. The Belt and Road Initiative is also now without potential challenges. Uh, some issues are local. For instance, many infrastructure projects along the Belt and Road import Chinese workers rather than use local workforce. This happens in Iran and elsewhere, for example, in Africa but more local companies are pushing back through demanding uh, MOU agreements, have language that um, say a certain percentage of projects must uh, be local workforce. And the same idea here goes for machinery and equipment parts as well. And there are other challenges that are more regional for example, how does Beijing navigate sanctions? China and other state-owned enterprises uh, must determine whether the risk is worth the reward. From 2010 to 2020, Chinese state-owned enterprises have abandoned at least eight major projects in Iran, totaling billions of US dollars in telecommunications, renewable and non-renewable energy sectors, and these were primarily abandoned due to sanctions or the threat of sanctions. And sanctions also come in many forms. Uh, European nations have also formed uh, INSTEX, which is a potential way to quote unquote, uh, enter legitimate trade with Iran. Uh, this may help avoid sanctions 
and there's also mutual interest from all parties uh, to have China join. Next, how does Beijing react to Tehran's increased regional aggression? China is the only developing nation permanently serving on the UN Security Council, and it must maintain global peace and security doing this. And it does this typically by exercising its policy of non-interference in other nations' domestic affairs. But with Tehran's increasingly aggressive behavior towards the region, obviously a location of great strategic importance to the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, it might be forced to take a more outspoken vocal role. As the world's number one oil importer and natural gas importer, China has a large amount of financial capital invested here and understands the importance of peace. Ultimately, China faces significant internal and external pressure to ensure stability through diplomatic means or at their very least maintain the status quo. Beijing cannot afford politically or economically to let a more aggressive Tehran disrupt the Strait of Hormuz, a major route that supplies energy to itself and the rest of the world. Recent history in the Gulf suggests Tehran is certainly willing to push the envelope. For example, regional incidents in the last decade simply involving Tehran and not its proxies include capturing multiple military personnel uh, foreign military personnel, launching successful cyber attacks against regional oil facilities, among other targets, and of course, the tragic downing of a commercial airline by Iran's military last year. It appears for now Beijing is willing to tolerate these activities, but for how long remains the question nobody knows. Third, how does Beijing react to increasing domestic turmoil in Tehran? As noted, Beijing has traditionally refrained from inserting itself into other nations' domestic affairs and has continued this policy here. But it has kept a watchful eye on uh, recent unrest in Iran. Of course, protests in Iran have been sparked by multiple factors. Uh, for instance, the domestic support of the green movement and internet blackouts. For some, these protests have resulted in several thousand reportedly injured or killed. And it was during at least one of these protests in Iran where its citizens took to the streets to call for the overthrow of the Iranian government. Beijing certainly has monitored these events in real time. All nations have a responsibility to protect its citizens overseas and China is no exception to that. But it does pose a big challenge. With approximately 200 million Chinese passport holders as of 2020, according to the Chinese media, Chinese officials have to monitor and react accordingly. In fact, Beijing's foreign ministry has revealed along the Belt and Road that its citizens, workers, and students have been captured, taken hostage, and even killed. In recent years, the highest number of Chinese traveling to Iran 
came under JCPOA implementation, ranging from 45 to 75,000, the highest in 2017. China has proven though it can effectively operate during times of crisis, having evacuated, for example, tens of thousands of its citizens from Yemen, Libya, and Iraq, among other areas, using a coordinated approach, and even called on services of the People's Liberation Army Navy to assist in the endeavor. Finally, Beijing monitors fluid domestic situations in Iran to protect its citizens, but it also monitors these situations to maintain control over areas inside of China. Around the world, there's been a push for independence. Scotland, for example, has had multiple referendums. Other notable examples include Brexit, Hong Kong protests, and even Xinjiang province has had independence briefly in the 20th century. Instability in Tehran is a potential uh, for encouraging other parts of China to pursue a similar path. In closing, China's Belt and Road Initiative is a complex number of moving parts. For the China-Iran partnership, both sides get a reliable partner and one that is also silent on each other's domestic affairs. Whether it's through energy, transportation, or people-to-people -people exchanges, Iran is betting on the Belt and Road. Beijing's aim is to create a more interconnected and China-centered world in the coming decades by way of these partnerships. And stability across the Belt and Road will remain top priority. Peace in the Middle East and in Iran is necessary. Xi Jinping admitted as much during the Belt and Road Forum in 2017 when he stated, the pursuit of the Belt and Road Initiative requires a peaceful and stable environment. This is especially true in Iran. Moving forward, peace in the Middle East from Beijing's point of view is now non-negotiable. Thank you. And with that, I open the floor to questions. All right, thank you so much. So the first question we have is, to what, if any extent, has China attempted to bring Arab states into the Brick and Road Initiative? The Chinese have, the Chinese have not pulled any arms. Uh, the Middle Eastern states and elsewhere are routinely entering the Belt and Road partnerships. They uh, are doing so, it's primarily by means of uh, memorandum, memorandum of understanding and nothing more than that. And Chinese President Xi Jinping has visited the Middle East twice in 2016 and also 2018. Um, is visited Israel, I'm sorry, visited uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Egypt, but it hasn't visited Israel. It's saved that for uh, other uh, high profile Chinese administration officials. 
Thank you. And can you hypothesize on how states like Iran could benefit militarily from the Brick and Road Initiative? In fact, they already are. Uh, China is uh, well known as being an arms exporter. CIPRI had a report several years ago that listed uh, China as the third arms exporter in the world. And it recently released a report in the last couple of days stating that uh, its arms export has ever decreased, but uh, it exports uh, to both the Middle East and to Africa and the greater Asian region. One of the interesting notes to point out is that Iran and other uh, Middle Eastern and African countries are benefiting tremendously from China's uh, growing drone program and its export of these uh, weapons. They're using them for reconnaissance. They're using them for uh, lethal means. And uh, the one thing that uh, needs to be certainly said is that these are uh, not uh, to the quality of American drones, but uh, they are cheaper. But in the long run, the uh, Chinese drones, as in any drones, uh, do change the battlefield. And how exactly does the United States feel about this initiative? Uh, they are... Uh, it's definitely piqued their interest. Uh, there are certain things, um, in fact, uh, it might even be raised in uh, a meeting that Chinese officials and the US are having in the next couple of days. And this may be a topic of consideration during these particular uh, high stakes meetings. Thank you. Are there any competing states in a position to launch a counter initiative in response to the Brick and Road Initiative? Uh, the short answer to that is that uh, a lot of these states are uh, understanding that oil is a finite resource and they need to figure out a way to move into the 21st century and beyond. Uh, one of these ways is certainly through the Belt and Road. Uh, there has been a lot of pushback by the US on the Belt and Road um, and other uh, European nations, uh, the UK and Sweden, for example, have chosen to uh, not work with Chinese 5G telecom firms, and we will see if that uh, plays out in other areas, particularly in the Middle East. So in re response to the, uh, well, not response, but you said that Iran is the number one trade partner with China, um, but China is a little hesitant right now with all the protests going on and the, the domestic unrest. Can you discuss that a little further? Sure. Um, the in, in which country? 
basically why would China want to work with Iran given the the domestic unrest there? Sure, uh, they're obviously a big proponent of the Belt and Road is innovation um, and energy as well as transportation. Uh, all of these sectors offer uh, entry for the Chinese to uh, put forth a uh, great effort and to illustrate what they can do in uh, a country that has, uh, can offer a lot of resources, can offer uh, a lot of uh, ways to improve this relationship. Understood. So currently it's at least semi-mutually um, beneficial to both countries involved. Yes. Understood. Uh, can, how can you see India's growing influence shaping China-Iran China ties? Well, uh, China is, uh, India is a growing power. Certainly they're both growing powers. Uh, China's Belt and Road Initiative has uh, 130, 140 countries involved. And uh, you can be certain that they're competing with um, India for the same resources, uh, both regionally uh, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, and elsewhere. And uh, you could certainly make the argument that uh, India is trying to undercut as much as they can China's influence in these areas. And it's receiving uh, help from the US administration uh, over the past several US administrations. And uh, you could certainly make the argument that that will continue under the Biden administration. So currently, has India been successful in undercutting China? To an extent, uh, they are uh, working through a lot of the same avenues that China is through education, through technology, um, through student exchange. So they, they are uh, making a dent uh, to be certain, but uh, how far that goes, we'll see. Uh, there's potential for uh, definitely US backing and I would expect that to continue. Thank you, and sorry, going back to the US Senate prohibiting the Confucius Institutes, uh, can you discuss that a little further? Sure. Uh, the Confucius Institutes are throughout the world located in the Middle East and elsewhere. And in particular in, China, in the US, uh, they've come under uh, heavy scrutiny from uh, both the government and Congress for uh, multiple reasons. One is uh, potential for uh, spying. Uh, another is uh, to uh, the way in which the, uh, the education facilities are set up in Confucius Institutes, they have to certainly uh, have a sponsoring institute in China. 
therefore, ties uh, between the two countries, whatever the country is that is working with the Chinese education facility, uh, there's always going to be some type of uh, uncertainty potentially in that relationship. And we'll see how that plays out in the future. Of course, thank you. And what impact would Xijing province have on the Brick and Road Initiative? Well, Xijing province is a very important region to China. It's home to millions of Chinese Muslims. And it's also home to uh, a major entry point for pipelines along the Belt and Road. Uh, and certainly Middle East countries and, and others are looking to maintain these uh, study relationships with China, uh, maintain the uh, economic relationship. Therefore, they've been relatively quiet on the issues related to Xinjiang province and uh, human rights abuses there. The one exception would be potentially Turkey, but uh, over the last several years, Turkey has uh, been pressed uh, through a lot of economic projects through uh, China's Belt and Road. So they're uh, a little bit more in Beijing's quarter in this one. So obviously we're very involved in Turkey here at the Middle East Forum. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Um, during, I believe the 1950s, uh, the uh, ethnic minority Chinese located in Xinjiang were seeking refuge elsewhere. One of the areas was Turkey, um, but uh, under the Erdogan administration, uh, it's been somewhat of a mixed bag in terms of how he handles that. Um, certainly, there's been a pushback from the international community uh, on that issue. Um, but for the uh, for Turkey, uh, they seem to be falling more in line with China due to the economic gains from that relationship. Understood, thank you. And finally, can the Brick and Road Initiative bring peace to the Middle East? It's too early to say. Uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is a big proponent of innovation. And he routinely says that uh, innovation brings peace. Uh, certainly uh, the renewable energy sector has potential to bring peace, although recent events in the uh, Texas-USA uh, question how far we have to go to uh, achieving some type of stability in renewables. But uh, it's definitely possible that the Belt and Road would be able to bring uh, peace through the Middle East in some fashion with uh, a combination of the Innovation Silk Road and the Green Silk Road. Thank you. And can you tell us a little more about where we can find some more of your work? 
Sure, um, I could be contacted through the uh, DUCO as well as uh, social media uh, in terms of uh, LinkedIn. I also am presently working on a book, uh, writing a book on uh, China's involvement in uh, the polls. So look forward to putting it out there. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate you taking time to speak with us today. Thank you very much, Jason. I appreciate it. All right, we've come to the close of our webinar. For our viewers and listeners, please join us at Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for an update with Ashley Perry. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.